Chapter sixty one of the Hidden Hand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Hidden Hand by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter sixty one. There shall be light at the eventide. Holy Bible. They shall be blessed exceedingly. Their store grow daily, weekly, more and more. And peace so multiply around. Their very hearth seems holy ground. Mary Howitt. The marriage of Capitola and of Herbert, and that of Clara and of Travers, was fixed to take place upon the first of August, which was the twenty-first birthday of the doctor's daughter, and also the twenty-fifth anniversary of the wedding of Ira Warfield and Mara Rock. German husbands and wives have a beautiful custom of keeping the twenty-fifth anniversary of their marriage by a festival, which they call the Silver Wedding. And thus Major Warfield and Mara resolved to keep this first of August, and further to honor the occasion by uniting the hands of their young people. There was but one cloud upon the happiness of Capitola. This was the approaching execution of Black Donald. No one else seemed to care about the matter, until a circumstance occurred which painfully aroused their interest. This was the fact that the governor, through the solicitation of certain ministers of the gospel, who represented the condemned as utterly unprepared to meet his fate, had respited him until the first of August, at which time he wished the prisoner to be made to understand that his sentence would certainly, without further delay, be carried into effect. This carried a sort of consternation into the heart of every member of the Hurricane Hall household. The idea of Black Donald being hanged in their immediate neighborhood upon their wedding day was appalling. Yet there was no help for it, unless their wedding was postponed to another occasion than that upon which Old Hurricane had set his heart. No one knew what to do. Cap fretted herself almost sick. She had cudgeled her brains to no purpose. She had not been able to think of any plan by which she could deliver Black Donald. Meantime, the last days of July were rapidly passing away. Black Donald in the condemned cell maintained his firmness, resolutely asserting his innocence of any capital crime, and persistently refusing to give up his band. As a last motive of confession, the paper written by Gabriel Lenore upon his deathbed was shown him. He laughed a loud, crackling laugh, and said that was all true, but that he, for his part, never had intended to harm a hair of Capitola's head, that he had taken a fancy to the girl when he had first seen her, and had only wanted to carry her off and force her into a marriage with himself, that he had pretended to consent to her death only for the purpose of saving her life. When Cap heard this, she burst into tears, and said she believed it was true. The night before the wedding of Capitola and Herbert, and Clara and Travers, and of the execution of Black Donald came. At Hurricane Hall, the two prospective bridegrooms were busy with old Hurricane over some papers that had to be prepared in the library. The two intended brides were engaged, under the direction of Mrs. Warfield, in her dressing-room, consulting over certain proprieties of the approaching festival. But Capitola could give only a half-attention to the discussion. Her thoughts were with the poor condemned man, who was to die the next day. And suddenly she flew out of the room, summoned her groom, mounted her horse, and rode away. In his condemned cell, Black Donald was bitterly realizing how unprepared he was to die and how utterly impossible it was for him to prepare in the short hours left him. He tried to pray, but could form no other petition than that he might be allowed, if possible, a little longer to fit himself to meet his Creator. From his cell he could hear the striking of the great clock in the prison hall, and as every hour struck, it seemed, a nail driven in his coffin. 
At eight o'clock that night the warden sat in his little office, consulting the sheriff about some details of the approaching execution. While they were still in discussion, a turnkey opened the door, saying, "'A lady to see the warden.' And Capitola stood before them. "'Miss Black!' exclaimed both sheriff and warden, rising in surprise, gazing upon our heroine, and addressing her by the name under which they had first known her. "'Yes, gentlemen, it is I. The truth is, I cannot rest to-night without saying a few words of comfort to the poor man who is to die to-morrow. So I came hither, attended by my groom, to know if I may see him for a few minutes. Miss Black, here is the sheriff. It is just as he pleases.' My orders were so strict that had you come to me alone, I should have been obliged to refuse you. Mr. Keep, you will not refuse me, said Capitola, turning to the sheriff. Miss Black, my rule is to admit no one but the officers of the prison and the ministers of the gospel to see the condemned. This we have been obliged to observe as a measure of safety. This convict, as you are aware, is a man of consummate cunning, so that it is really wonderful he has not found means to make his escape, closely as he has been watched, and strongly as he has been guarded. "'Ah, but Mr. Keep, his cunning was no match for mine, you know,' said Capitola, smiling. "'Ha, ha, ha! So it was not. You took him very cleverly. Very cleverly, indeed. In fact, if it had not been for you, I doubt if ever we should have captured Black Donald at all. The authorities are entirely indebted to you for the capture of this notorious outlaw.' And really, that being the case, I do think it would be straining a point to refuse you admittance to see him. So, Miss Black, you have my authority for visiting the condemned man in his cell, and giving him all the comfort you can. I would attend you thither myself, but I have got to go see the captain of a militia company, to be on the scene of action to-morrow, said the sheriff, who soon after took leave of the warden and departed. The warden then called a turnkey, and ordered him to attend Miss Black to the condemned cell. The young turnkey took up a lamp and a great key, and walked before, leading the way downstairs to a cell in the interior of the basement, occupied by Black Donald. He unlocked the door, admitted Capitola, and then walked off to the extremity of the lobby, as he was accustomed to do when he let in the preachers. Capitola thanked heaven for this chance, for had he not done so, she would have to invent some excuse for getting rid of him. She entered the cell. It was very dimly lighted from the great lamp that hung in the lobby, nearly opposite the cell door. By its light she saw Black Donald, not only doubly ironed, but confined by a great chain and staple to the wall. He was very pale and haggard, from long imprisonment and great anxiety. Cap's heart bled for the poor band and blighted outlaw, who had not a friend in the world to speak a kind word to him in his trouble. He also recognized her, and rising and coming to meet her, as far as the length of the chain would permit, he held out his hand and said, "'I am very glad you have come, little one. It is very kind of you to come and see a poor fellow in his extremity. You are the first female that has been in this cell since my imprisonment. Think of that, child. I wanted to see you, too. I wanted to say to you yourself again that I was never guilty of murder, and that I only seemed to consent to your death to save your life. Do you believe this?' "'On the word of a dying man, it is truth.' "'I do believe you, Donald Bain,' said Capitola, in a broken voice. "'I hear that you have come into your estate. I am glad of it. "'And they tell me that you are going to be married to-morrow. "'Well, God bless you, little one.' "'Oh, Donald Bain, can you say God bless me when it was I who put you here?' "'Tut, child, we outlaws bear no malice. Spite is a civilized vice. "'It was a fair contest, child, and you conquered.' "'It's well you did. Give me your hand in good will, since I must die to-morrow.' Capitola gave her hand, 
and whilst he held it, she stooped and said, "'Donald, I have done everything in the world I could to save your life. I know you have, child. May yours be long and happy. Donald, may your life be longer and better than you think. I have tried all other means of saving you in vain. There is but one means left.' The outlaw started violently, exclaiming, "'Is there one?' "'Donald, yes, there is. I bring you the means of deliverance and escape.' Heaven knows whether I am doing right, for I do not. I know many people would blame me very much. But I hope that he who forgave the thief upon the cross, and the sinful woman at his feet, will not condemn me for following his own compassionate example. For, Donald, as I was the person whom you injured most of all others, so I consider that I of all others have the best right to pardon you and set you free. Oh, Donald, use well the life I am about to give you, else I shall be chargeable with every future sin you commit." In the name of mercy, girl, do not hold out a false hope. I had nerved myself to die. But you were not prepared to meet your Maker. Oh, Donald, I hold out no false hope. Listen, for I must speak low and quick. I could never be happy again if on my wedding day you should die a felon's death. Here, here are tools with the use of which you must be acquainted, for they were found in the woods near the hidden house, said Capitola, producing from her pockets a burglar's lockpick, saw, chisel, file, etc., Black Donald seized them, as a famished wolf might seize his prey. "'Will they do?' inquired Capitola, in breathless anxiety. "'Yes, yes, yes. I can file off my irons, pick every lock, drive back every bolt, and dislodge every bar between myself and freedom with these instruments. But, child, there is one thing you have forgotten. Suppose a turnkey or a guard should stop me. You have brought me no revolver.' Capitola turned pale. "'Donald, I could easily have brought you a revolver, but I would not, even to save you from to-morrow's death. No, Donald, no. I give you the means of freeing yourself, if you can do it, as you may without bloodshed. But, Donald, though your life is not justly forfeited, your liberty is, and so I cannot give you the means of taking anyone's life for the sake of saving your own.' "'You are right,' said the outlaw. "'Listen further, Donald.' Here are a thousand dollars. I thought never to have taken it from the bank, for I would never have used the price of blood. But I drew it to-day for you. Take it. It will help you to live a better life. When you have picked your way out of this place, go to the great elm-tree at the back of the old mill, and you will find my horse, Jip, which I shall have tied there. He is very swift. Mount him, and ride for your life to the nearest seaport, and so escape by a vessel to some foreign country." And, oh, tried to lead a good life, and may God redeem you, Donald Bain. There, conceal your tools and money quickly, for I hear the guard coming. Good-bye, and again, God redeem you, Donald Bain. God bless you, brave and tender girl. And God forsake me if I do not heed your advice. And the outlaw pressed the hand she gave him, while the tears rushed to his eyes. The guard approached. Capitola turned to meet him. They left the cell together, and Black Donald was locked in for the last time. Oh, I hope, I pray that he may get off. Oh, what shall I do if he doesn't? How can I enjoy my wedding to-morrow? How can I bear the music and the dancing and the rejoicing, when I know that a fellow-creature is in such a strait? Oh, Lord, grant that Black Donald may get clear off to-night, for he isn't fit to die, said Cap to herself, as she hurried out of the prison. Her young groom was waiting for her, and she mounted her horse, and rode until they got to the old haunted church at the end of the village. When drawing rein, she said, "'Jem, I am very tired. I will wait here, and you must just ride back to the village, to Mr. Castle's livery stable, and get a gig, and put your horse into it, and come back here to drive me home, for I cannot ride.' 
Jem, who never questioned his imperious little mistress's orders, rode off at once to do her bidding. Cap immediately dismounted from her pony, and led him under the deep shadows of the elm tree, where she fastened him. Then taking his face between her hands, and looking him in the eyes, she said, "'Jip, my son, you and I have had many a frolic together, but we've got to part now. It almost breaks my heart, Jip, but it is to save a fellow-creature's life, and it can't be helped. He'll treat you well for my sake, dear Jip. Jip, he'll part with his life sooner than sell you. Good-bye, dear, dear Jip.' Jip took all these caresses in a very nonchalant manner, only snorting and pawing in reply. Presently the boy came back, bringing the gig. Cap once more hugged Jip about the neck, pressed her cheek against his mane, and with a whispered, "'Good-bye, dear Jip,' sprang into the gig, and ordered the boy to drive home. "'And leave the pony, miss?' "'Oh, yes, for the present. Everybody knows Jip. No one will steal him.' I have left him length of line enough to move around a little and eat grass, drink from the brook, or lie down. You can come after him early to-morrow morning. The little groom thought this a queer arrangement, but he was not in the habit of criticizing his young mistress's actions. Capitola got home to a late supper, and to the anxious inquiries of her friends, she replied that she had been to the prison to take leave of Black Donald, and begged that they would not pursue so painful a subject and in respect to Cap's sympathies, they changed the conversation. That night the remnant of Black Donald's band were assembled in their first old haunt, the Old Road Inn. They had met for a twofold purpose, to bury their old matron, Mother Raven, who, since the death of her patron and the apprehension of her captain, had returned to the inn to die, and to bewail the fate of their leader, whose execution was expected to come off the next day. The men laid the poor old woman in her woodland grave, and assembled in the kitchen to keep a death-watch, in sympathy with their unfortunate captain. They gathered around the table, and foaming mugs of ale were freely quaffed for sorrows dry, they said. But neither laugh, song, nor jest attended their draughts. They were to keep that night's vigil in honor of their captain, and then were to disband and separate forever. Suddenly, in the midst of their heavy grief and utter silence, a familiar sound was heard, a ringing footstep under the back windows, and every man leaped to his feet, with looks of wild delight and questioning, and the next instant the door was flung wide open, and the outlaw chief stood among them. Hale flung himself around Black Donald's neck, exclaiming, "'It's you! It's you! It's you! My dear! My darling! My adored! My sweetheart! My prince! My lord! My king! My dear, dear captain!' Steve, the lazy mulatto, rolled down upon the floor at his master's feet, and embraced him in silence. While Demon Dick growled forth, "'How the foul fiend did you get out?' And the anxious faces of all the other men silently repeated the question. "'Not by any help of yours, boys. But don't think I reproach you, lads. Well, I know that you could do nothing on earth to save me. No one on earth could have helped me, except the one who really freed me, Capitola. "'That girl again!' exclaimed Hale, in the extremity of wonder. Steve stopped rolling, and curled himself around the feet of his master, and gazed up in stupid astonishment. "'It's to be hoped, then, you've got her at last, Captain,' said Demon Dick. "'No, heaven bless her. She's in better hands. Now listen, lads, for I must talk fast. I have already lost a great deal too much time. I went first to the cave in the punch-bowl, and not finding you there, came here at a venture, where I am happy to meet you for the last time, for to-night we disband for ever. "'Twas our intention, Captain,' said Hale, in a melancholy voice. Black Donald then threw himself into a seat at the head of the table, poured out a mug of ale, and invited his band to pledge him, 
They gathered around the table, filled their mugs, pledged him standing, and then resumed their seats to listen to the last words of their chief. Black Donald commenced, and related the manner of his deliverance by Capitola, and then, taking from his bosom a bag of gold, he poured it upon the table, and divided it into two equal portions, one of which he handed to Headlong Hale, saying, "'There, Hale, take that and divide it among your companions, and scatter to distant parts of the country, where you may yet have a chance of earning an honest livelihood. As for me, I shall have to quit the country altogether, and it will take nearly half this sum to enable me to do it. Now I have not a minute more to give you, so once more pledge your captain, and away.' The men filled their mugs, rose to their feet, and pledged their leader in a parting toast. And then, "'Good luck to you all!' exclaimed Black Donald, waving his hat thrice above his head, with a valedictory hurrah, and the next moment he was gone. That night, if any watchman had been on guard near the stables of Hurricane Hall, he might have seen a tall man, mounted upon Capitola's pony, ride up in hot haste, dismount and pick the stable lock, take Jip by the bridle and lead him in, and presently return leading out Fleetfoot, old Hurricane's racer, upon which he mounted and rode away. The next morning, while Capitola was dressing, her groom rapped at the door, and in great dismay, begged that he might speak to Miss Cap one minute. "'Well, what is it, Jem?' said Capitola. "'Oh, Miss Cap, you'll kill me. I done been got up long afore day, and gone to tip-top arter Jip, but somebody done been stole him away afore I got there.' "'Thank heaven!' cried Capitola, to little Jem's unspeakable amazement. For to Capitola, the absence of her horse meant just the escape of Black Donald." The next minute Cap sighed and said, "'Poor Jip, I shall never see you again.' That was all she knew of the future. That morning, while they were all at breakfast, a groom from the stables came in with a little canvas bag in his hand, which he laid, with a bow before his master. Major Warfield took it up. It was full of gold, and upon its side was written, in red chalk, three hundred dollars, to pay for Fleetfoot, Black Donald, Reformed Robber. While Old Hurricane was reading this inscription, the groom said that Fleetfoot was missing from his stall, and that Miss Cap's pony, that was supposed to have been stolen, was found in his place, with this bag of gold tied around his neck. "'It is Black Donald! He has escaped!' cried Old Hurricane, about to fling himself into a rage, when his furious eyes encountered the gentle gaze of Mara, that fell like oil on the waves of his rising passion. "'Let him go. I'll not storm on my silver wedding-day,' said Major Warfield." As for Cap, her eyes danced with delight. The only little clouds upon her bright sky were removed. Black Donald had escaped, to commence a better life, and Jip was restored. That evening a magnificent old-fashioned wedding came off at Hurricane Hall. The double ceremony was performed by the bishop of the diocese. Then on a visit to the neighborhood, in the great salon of Hurricane Hall, in the presence of as large and splendid an assembly as could be gathered together from that remote neighborhood, the two brides, of course, were lovely in white satin, honiton lace, pearls, and orange flowers. Equally, of course, the bridegrooms were handsome and elegant, proud and happy. To this old-fashioned wedding succeeded a round of dinners and evening parties, given by the wedding guests. And when all these old-time customs had been observed for the satisfaction of old friends, the bridal party went upon the new-fashioned tour, for their own delight. They spent a year in travelling over the eastern continent, and then returned home to settle upon their patrimonial estates. Major Warfield and Mara lived at Hurricane Hall, and as his heart is satisfied and at rest, his temper is gradually improving. 
as the lion shall be led by the little child old hurricane is led by the gentlest woman that ever loved or suffered and she is leading him in his old age to the saviour's feet clara and travers live at willow heights which has been repaired enlarged and improved and where travers has already an extensive practice and where both endeavour to emulate the enlightened goodness of the sainted dr day cap and herbert with mrs lenore live at the hidden house which has been turned by wealth and taste into a dwelling of light and beauty as the bravest are always the gentlest so the most high-spirited are always the most forgiving and thus the weak or wicked old dorcas knight finds still a home under the roof of mrs lenore her only retribution being the very mild one of having her relations changed in the fact that her temporary prisoner is now her mistress and sovereign lady i wish i could say they all lived happily ever after but the truth is i have reason to suppose that even clara had sometimes occasion to administer to dr rock dignified curtain lectures which no doubt did him good and i know for a positive fact that our cap sometimes gives her dear darling sweet herbert the benefit of the sharp edge of her tongue which of course he deserves but notwithstanding all this i am happy to say that all enjoy a fair amount of human felicity the end end of chapter sixty one recording by bridget end of the hidden hand by e d e n southworth